There we go. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Thursday edition, as we're live on Roku, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other places we'll be later on today. Welcome back to our beginning of our week as we're on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary Hall of Fame boxing writer, Jack Hirsch, as we're going to update you on all the Latest scores, uh, we have some great uh, guests coming in. Um, yes, David, go Yankees. Um, we got some great guests coming in today. We have uh, Carter B. with the NHL around 8.30 is scheduled to be in. And the great New, New York Giants expert, ESPN, NFL kick, uh, Giants kickoff, Giants.com, Sirius, Lance Meadow, who will be in, and we'll, we haven't had him on the show in a while, Jack, but he'll be on, and we'll talk a lot about the Giants, of course, for that half hour. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Jack. Hey, good morning, Mac. Uh, so much was going on in the sports world. I realized that when I was scanning the TV last night for the games, I mean, you, you have baseball on, and you have a couple of games, you have the NBA going on, a couple of NHL playoff games going on. It's like amazing, you know, to go back, forth, back, forth, especially if you don't have a favorite team. What yeah. are you really going to watch? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I, I understand, you know, that the broadcasters got to talk about something. And we'll talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs here. And they got all the NBA playoffs all figured out. The Celtics, just a better team than the Bucks, right? That, that series is all over. The Grizzlies, they don't stand a chance without Morant against the Warriors. And, you know, you got to pump on the brakes, guys. I mean, you know, Jack, I mean, like I said, I understand they got to talk about something. But to say series are over and there's no chance, I, 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 it's just ridiculous, right? Because you know the Bucks have a very good team. You know the Grizzlies have won without Morant, that they're a very resilient team, that they're going to give everything they got. And it's, and it's a game. Anything can happen. So uh, what's your opinion? I mean, do you think they've they got to say something or are they just so off that every time a team wins, the other team's in trouble? Mac, let me partially correct you. No one was discounting the Bucks' chances. No one was saying, oh, the Celtics look like a lock. When, no, everyone was looking at this as a series that was going to go down to the wire. I don't think there was anyone at all going into yesterday's game uh, at any point during the series was dismissive of the Milwaukee Bucks' chances of winning this series. I mean, it, it was considered a true toss-up series 
the Bucks and the Celtics. I mean, the other series, Golden State and the Grizzlies, I'll agree with you. The Warriors were considered pretty much of a solid favorite uh, to win it. And the Grizzlies are hanging around. They're down three games to two. They're playing with all this enthusiasm. They blew out Golden State yesterday. And you, you love their, you know, the how hard they play on defense. I mean, everyone is stepping up with Memphis. They're playing like they have absolutely nothing to lose, and they're going all out here. And maybe it was just a bad game for the Warriors yesterday because at one point they were down 55 points. You know, imagine that. And the question is, is that better for a team? You're up 3-1. There's a game 5 you're going to lose. Are you better off just getting blown out a losing a very close game. Because if you lose a very close game, you might be kicking yourself saying, you know, we should have wrapped it up. We let it get away. And it might weigh on you more. And if you get blown out, you might say, yeah, this is an aberration. Just forget about it. And we'll get them next game. I mean, that's an interesting question. It's like pick your poison. How would you rather lose if you're up 3-1 and you have to lose a fifth game? Well, first, I'll totally tell you you're wrong. I watch Sports Center. I watch all the shows, Jack. And when the Celtics won the last game and, and Giannis was held to 34 points and he was tired at the end of the fourth quarter and no, you know, the, the, um, and Drew Holiday wasn't playing good. And, and they just said the Celtics are just a better team right now than the Bucs. So I'm telling you what they said. Which well, the Celtics, the Celtics were down 2-1 uh, going into game four. Mm -hmm. yeah. They closed out game four. That's where they did a good job. And that's what they didn't do yesterday. They didn't close the game out. They were down. They were up 14 points in the final uh, period. 14 points. Yet they let the game get away. I mean, you, you keep waiting for a team to just nail the game down where they're leading virtually the whole game and they just can't quite put it away. And then Milwaukee went on a spurt. And of course, uh, Drew Holiday there. I might have to reassess what I said before. I said all along that, well, Chris Middleton is the second best player on the Bucks. He's everyone's a bit of a distant second to Giannis. Let's make that clear. But when you see the things that Drew Holiday's been doing, and he's been doing it all season, playing God, yesterday with less than 10 seconds left, and Milwaukee, after they went up one point, he made a phenomenal play, blocking Marcus Smart's shot and getting the ball, then off balance as he's headed out of bounds, he threw it off Marcus Smart, so the Bucks kept possession. And then when the the Celtics were down three points at the end of the game, they had took the ball down the court, perhaps at one last chance to take a three-point to tie it. He stole the ball off Marcus Smart again. So Drew well, Holiday really was sensational at the end of that game. Let me ask you a question. And I, I didn't say this after the play was done. I said this before. Why is Marcus Smart bringing up the ball? When you have Mac. When you have six seconds left, 5.9 seconds left on the clock and no timeouts left. Right. And the other team just hit their foul shots and you're taking it out all the way in your end of the court. There's not much time. I you understand. just get the ball into someone. You dribble down the court. 
And you just look for an opening to just get off a halfway decent shot. Sometimes it just, you know, I'm not in a position to pick who you want, want to shoot the ball. But with that said, Marcus Smart really isn't a bad choice. I mean, you'd rather have Tatum and Brown shoot before him on that team. But Marcus Smart's not a bad alternative. Yeah, what I'm talking about, though, Jack, I mean, everybody practices what happens with no time left, yeah. no timeouts. There's, you know, seconds left in a game. I would imagine there's plays designed to get it to your ball handlers, right? I would imagine there are plays that 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 you work on to make sure the guy that gets the ball is the guy that can, you know, can bring it up quick, can handle the ball good, can make a shot or can pass it off very quick. I don't think Marcus Smart is the one you want. I think it's no, like, that's the one you want, but you have no choice. You have no timeouts left, Mac. You can't set up a play. Well, I'm saying this is practice, though, Jack. This is not – you're not timing out and setting up a play. I'm talking about in regular and practice. the other teams but, – but don't you think Milwaukee practices where they're going to want to cut off certain players, sure. defend against them? They want the ball in certain players' hands. We see that happen all the time, especially when a team has to foul someone. They don't always want – they don't want to foul the other team's best foul shooters, but that's what often happens – and you want to get the ball, obviously, in the hands of the player most likely to make a three. But again, Marcus Smart's, you know, not a bad alternative. Mm. I mean, it, and it's desperation time. What are the chances of you even getting an open shot? You're dribbling down the court. And they also had an option, the Milwaukee Bucks, which I'm surprised they didn't use. They could have fouled the Celtics, Okay. With whichever player had the ball with, let's say, three, four seconds left before they could get off a shot, sending them to the foul line. Even if they made both shots, you still have one point. But, of course, they would try to make the first and miss the second. But they played straight out tight defense in Boston, just couldn't get a shot off. It got stolen, you know, at midcourt. Well, I, I bet if it was Brown, or Tatum, they might have fouled him. I mean, I don't think they worried about Smart. Well, the problem, the danger in fouling another player is he could see he's about to get fouled and he could just throw up any heave, you know, any shot. And that would mean he would get three foul tries going to the foul line. And when you're up three points, that's pretty treacherous. That's the last thing you want to do is foul them and send them to the line for three shots when you have a three-point lead at the end of the game. I agree. And you know something? Hats off to Portis, too. Portis played his uh, butt off. Portis, got to, uh, Portis put Milwaukee ahead. Actually, what happened, Milwaukee was down two points, you know, and the second foul shot was missed, you know, within 10 seconds of the game. And, and Portis got, I think, 12 seconds. So Portis got the rebound. And put it in to put Milwaukee ahead by a point. Why didn't he do that when he was with the Knicks, Mac? Because <laughs> he wasn't on as good as a team, Jack. Yeah. How come they get better? They leave the Knicks. <laughs> it's, they it's find the a team. role in there, you know, and they're playing, making these deep playoff runs. It's it's the team, Jack. Trust me, it's the team. So let's let's go back to a little bit to the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Now, before the game, Steph Curry was mocking. The fans, he was mocking their song. I mean, 
why, you know, why would you inflame something? You say, well, would you rather lose by a little bit or a lot? No, you go in there to win. And the Warriors have the talent to beat the Grizzlies. There's no doubt about that. The Grizzlies are a very tough, resilient team. So to to start any kind of fire under these guys, was he was out of his mind. What is he doing? Just go out there and play the game. He's not 20 years old anymore. See, this is why I don't understand about some players, right? Why are you adding fuel to the fire when you know the Grizzlies are a good, resilient, strong team? Why would you even do that, Jack? Why do these players interact with the fans where they're actually provoking the fans? Sometimes fans are entitled to boo. <laughs> they're entitled to cheer for their team. They're entitled to get on opposing players as long as they don't cross a line. You can't start talking about their families or getting personal but you could say whatever you want about their game. And we so often see these players. It could be in any sport. They can score a touchdown. Uh, I've seen Tyreek Hill do it. I've seen Pete Alonso do it after hitting a home run. They hold their finger up to their mouth and say, shh, shh, like to right. tell the fans to quiet down. Once you do that to the fans and you're telling the fans to quiet down, to me, you may as well be telling them, uh, shut the you-know-what up, okay? Yeah. That's that's basically what you're telling them. And to me, game's on then. They can harass you to no level because you've gotten personal with the fans in a way. You're starting with them, yeah. okay? Don't do it, you know, hear them out, whatever. Just You could celebrate when you score, celebrate with your teammates and all. Sure. Don't provoke the fans and then complain that the fans are carrying it too far. Leave it alone. I mean, what what do we expect? Do we expect empty arenas, Mac? How would players feel if there was no booing? They ever? said they hated it. They said they hated empty arenas. Exactly. Would they rather have empty arenas? I mean, it's it, it, and Steph Curry. Leave it alone. You don't mock another team's song. Football, I mentioned once to Jim Jeff Cody, kind of agreed. If someone stomped on the Cowboy logo at midfield, any team's logo, it's like religion to the players. That's right. how they look at it. You don't stomp on their logo or disrespect their logo. There's certain things you don't do. You kind of you got to keep the celebration in-house with your team. You don't start going at it with the fans. I Listen. There are rare exceptions that could be funny. I remember when during the era with uh, Ewing, Starks, Oakley, when they played the Indiana Pacers in the playoff game, the Pacers were up 3-2 game six in Indiana. It looked like they were going to wrap it up. The players were getting on the Knicks players fiercely. And at the end, the Knicks scored an upset, and they were going back to the garden. At the end of the game, John Starks is leaving the card and he waved to the Indiana fans like, bye-bye. <laughs> but yeah, you're on your way out the door. You're not playing them again the rest of the season. But don't provoke the fans. The players have to be told that in certain terms. That's just, that's just that's like immature and that's just stupid. Go in there, take care of business. You're supposed to win the series, everybody says. I still think the Warriors win that series. But guess what? Grizzlies ain't going to roll over and die for you. They ain't happening. Tell me this, Matt. Answer me this question. We, you know, I think we both agree. Jay Morant's probably one of the best players in the NBA. I'm not making a bold statement by saying that. Right. He is one of the best players in the NBA. Yet the Grizzlies have a 21 and 6 record without him. 
The Grizzlies might actually be a little better. I hate saying this without Jay Morant. And with my rather Jay Morant, don't get me wrong, any any time, I mean, any time. Jay Morant's a team player. He's extremely supportive when he's on the bench. Maybe a little too hype at times, the way he's going at it with the Warriors. But good for him. Jay Morant's a major asset. Yet the Grizzlies have stepped it up. Okay, a bit. Uh, do you think Jay Morant could turn out maybe in a certain sense to be the this era's, you know, a few the future era's Russell Westbrook, a sensational talent who at one point Westbrook was considered by some to be even the best player in the NBA by some. Yeah. And now, you know. No one would even dare even consider making a remark like that. I, I think the difference between Westbrook and Morant is Morant's a team player, even when he takes over a game, right? He's always looking for the pass. He's always looking for the rebounds. He's always, uh, as you said, not just on bench, but on the court supporting his his players. I just think the Grizzlies have a good team, period. I think Morant is like, is like the icing on top, right? So Morant can take over a game if he has to, but he really doesn't have to. And I think the guys really respect him and love the way he plays the game. So him not playing and them playing hard, I think is out of respect for Morant too, because they know that that guy's there for them. They're there for him. It's, it's just a great chemistry they have on that team. That team is going to be good for years, Jack. If they don't break that team up, that team's going to win a championship. There's no doubt. Well, I'm going to tell you, you kind of wonder, should they even be playing the Warriors because you talk about young teams on the way up. When they played the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Timberwolves had lost three of the games in their series against the Grizzlies when they were leading by double-digit points going into the fourth period. Yeah. So they, so the NBA is about closing games out. Minnesota couldn't do it against Memphis. Boston couldn't do it last night against Milwaukee. Now they're down 3-2 going back to Milwaukee. And it's going to be tough, you know, to come back and win this. But that's what I think it is. I think they're really top-of-the-line teams. They close games out. I mean, once in a while, a game is going to get away from them that they should close out. But on balance, championship caliber teams know how to close the deal at the end. Well, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves, another very young team, they're going to be they're going to be competing for championships too. Um, you know, there's to me what's exciting about this is there's not a lot of teams that are bought that are in there, right? A lot of these teams that are in there right now are players from that team. There's not there's not a lot of free agents running around here and making teams better, Jack. I mean, even, even if you look at the 76ers, I mean, yeah, the beard is there to help out. But, you know, Tyrese Maxey, Harris has got to play well. They got to have the whole team playing well to win. And that's what's encouraging to me about it seems like a little bit about the old days, right, where, you know, they just wouldn't go to other teams to play for them. I'm just hoping this trend continues. Mac, hoping- Mac, it's not because the players are loyal to their teams. It's because the way the free agent NBA salary structure set up, a player can get paid a significant amount more if he signs max deals with his own team. Okay, as opposed to signing elsewhere. So that gives them a definite edge. And let's face it, the majority 
even great players, they don't, they're, they're not going to want to leave 40 million on the table. If they can get, let's say, 180 million to go to another team, a 220 million to stay with their team, I'm just giving an, an example. They'll take the 220 to stay with their team unless they're utterly miserable or unless they have such incredible endorsement deals the way LeBron James has where they feel they can make the money up elsewhere because, you know, their happiness can come ahead of the extra millions because they feel they're getting more than enough. That's why players stay predominantly with their own teams. Oh, I don't disagree with that. I just like the trend, Jack. I like I like the trend of players staying with their team, even if it's because of a max contract. I mean, I think there is loyalty to a point, right? I think I think Embiid wants to stay with the 76ers. I think he wants to win with the 76ers. But eventually, if they're not winning, um, you know, then maybe he wants to go check out other places. places. I'm not sure, Mac. I don't know Embiid's exact mindset. I can only speculate. At this point, I mean, they're down 3-2, the Sixers to the Heat. I After losing the first two, they won the next two in Philly. They seem re-energized, and they got blown out in Miami. Embiid is staggering around the ring. He's like a fighter, staggering around the ring, showing tremendous heart and resolve, but he looks beaten up. And James Harden, who had a resurgence in Philadelphia, especially game four, where he looked like the James Harden of old, like a lot of older players, he can't maintain it. They can have a great game, you know, and then the next game, they'll kind of flatten out a bit. And if the Sixers get eliminated by the Heat, I mean, what's Embiid's incentive to come back next year? He might look at the team and think, wow, we're not going to win with James Harden here. Or, or he could be talked into it one more year. I'm going to try to do it with the Sixers. See whether Harden could recapture his old magic, which is doubtful. Let's see if Maxi could continue his, you know, to evolve as a top-of-the-line player. And these guys eventually get frustrated. They just, you know, kind of want to go. But when you say guys staying with the same team, that's not really the case uh, most of the time. And yes, with Embiid in Philadelphia. Yes, with Giannis and Milwaukee. But look at the Lakers. LeBron and Anthony Davis came from other teams. They won a title a couple of years ago. Jimmy Butler, he came from, you know, three other teams before he landed in Miami. So you just oh, wow. look at even the Nets, who we thought could be a championship contender, Durant Irving came from elsewhere. Well, you're 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 bringing up teams that are not in the playoffs right now. When you talk about the Lakers, yeah. Lakers, and the Nets, okay. So you're right with Jimmy Butler, but you know it's not just Jimmy Butler that's playing great for the Heat. It's all the players around him. We forget the the contributions. For instance, you brought up Ty Tyrese Maxey, right? This guy could become a star. They held him in check last game. That's what really hurt the 76ers. It wasn't so much Embiid and Harden. Tyrese, I think, had nine points. He can't play like that if the 76ers are going to win. He's got to play a lot better. He's got to bring himself through everything he can to become what the what the 76ers need. Harden, and right now, Embiid can get his, get his stuff. Still. I think he will, Jack, tonight. I think the 76ers win tonight. That's just my opinion. I think they win. But you you 
Butler can get his. You got to stop the other Miami Heat players. You got to stop the three-point shooters. And and what what the uh what the uh Heat did was stop Tyrese Maxey. That's what that's what hurt Philadelphia. So this is what I'm talking about, Jack. Yeah, players do move, but it's the it's the players that are becoming the future stars that are there. And and this is what I'm talking about, Jack. Butler, I think, is happy with the Heat. I think he's happy with Riley. Riley's a great GM, was a great coach. I mean, I think the Heat are going to be always going to be. Well, up. Eric Spolstra is his coach. They were Correct. having that argument on the sideline. You never know with Jimmy Butler, but I will, you know, he kind of runs hot and cold. When he tried to force a, a trade from the Minnesota Timberwolves, he did. He would call up and not come to practice certain days, saying, oh, I have a cold on this, on that. It would be like he would take sick days off, you know, right. which is which professional athletes in general uh, don't do. So, but I think the Miami Heat set a cult, a really good culture, because Pat Riley supports the head coach Eric Spolstra one hundred percent. That's his guy. He will not allow a player to overrule Eric Spolstra, you know, in any way or command too much power to remove the coach. With that said, Mac. I don't know whether you saw it came out this morning. The uh, Los Angeles Lakers in their search for a new coach looking at Golden State Warrior assistant and former net head coach Kenny Atkinson, who was a really good coach with the Nets. And reports are he was let go because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant weren't satisfied with him. Yeah, yeah. I, listen, I don't know if Atkinson would be good with the Lakers or not because you're talking – Veteran stars, or I don't know. And Carlos, he's a disciplinarian. Yes, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This is just my thought, okay? Uh, and you might have a different opinion. We know LeBron James carries enormous power, and he's used that clout, you know, complaining about coaches. And we've in certain moves have been made. Look, David Blatt. When he was the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, when LeBron was there, he was fired with a record of 30 wins and 11 losses. Imagine that. You're fired with a record of 30 and 11 because all reports, well, LeBron didn't care for him at all, complained about him. LeBron complained about about Mike Brown, who's the warrior assistant now, who's just named head coach of the Sacramento Kings. How is he, LeBron... Uh, going to take to a new coach where he has no say who comes on and basically tells LeBron what to do because there are rumors that LeBron, he doesn't have a no trade clause. There's some talk that the Lakers would even possibly consider trading LeBron. I know it's no more than a rumor. Jenny Buss, the Laker owner, denies it. But just the idea, it's got to weigh on LeBron's mind a little bit. Yes. And Carlos is just, I, I have no idea what Carlos is talking about. Uh, MB is one of the best players in the league, period. There is no doubt. I've watched him for years. I watch just as much basketball as Carlos does. There is no way you can say that he is a star, but he doesn't play ball consistently. The injuries is because he plays hard and he doesn't stop playing hard. And he goes out there when he does when a lot of people wouldn't go out there because he knows they need him. So, you know, I mean, we could sit back here. Carlos could sit back and pick apart any player you want. You can. But if you're going to say Embiid is not a star, 
then you're not watching basketball. I'm going to tell you this. Any team in the NBA, Mac, uh, would trade any single player on their team, most of them, just about all of them, for Embiid one-on-one. That's how good he is. Milwaukee wouldn't trade Giannis for Embiid, even though they're pretty close in talent and ability and the whole thing. Sometimes there's no need to make a deal if it's so close. But just about any team, I mean, listen, if I'm the Nets, and the Sixers call me up and they offer me and be an even swap for Kevin Durant. I oh, make yeah. the deal. Oh, hell yeah. He's defensive. I used to star as Kevin Durant. I mean, Durant's a better shooter. There's no doubt about it. Better shooter always has been. But if you want somebody that's going to get the dirty work done and be there on defense and offensive rebounds, that's Embiid. Embiid's a more complete player than Durant. Even though Durant, not taking away the greatness of Durant. But if I want to start a team and I want a leader out there that's going to go and do all the dirty work and score and be Giannis, those would be my two guys. That's that's simple to me. So uh, whatever Carlos says, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, it would be interesting with Luca with Dallas if you know. Uh, Luca too. This Luca is called Luca and be. They would look at injury concerns. That would be a tough one. You know, uh, Dallas might be scared to make that deal because Luca's so popular. But then again, who knows? Yeah, I mean, listen, Luca's a great player too. I mean, I'm not taking away nothing from these guys. But is Luca going to get under there and get his head smashed in? Nah, he's not going to do that. He's going to stay outside. He's going to make his shots. He's going to get his rebounds because he's so big, and he's going to and he's going to assist and he's going to rebound. He's just a great player. Now, would you would I trade Luca or? <laughs> Uh, Giannis straight up for Embiid, eh, does it really matter? I mean, they're pretty close. So, like you say, uh, uh, that's something that I mean, I, I that's just like giving somebody five dollars for five fifty or for four fifty, right? It's it's no big loss either way. So let's talk a little bit about the Suns and <laughs> Dallas. Never have I seen a team like the Suns who have a problem. With a team like Dallas. I mean, listen, the Suns have arguably probably one of the best backcourts in the in the in the league. You would say that, right? Between him and Paul. Uh, they got a big man underneath that plays really well, but yet they're only up what what is it, three to two? Three to two. Well, Devin Booker had a big game five for Phoenix, so they they routed the Suns in game five. Yeah, after Phoenix went up 2 nothing, Mac, you didn't think we would be going into a game six. We were thinking, you know, there's a good chance they'll sweep. Uh, we could see Dallas winning one of the next two games in Dallas and then Phoenix wrapping it up in game five. But Dallas took both at home. And it gets to be a little scary. If you lose a game six, a game seven against anyone always gets to be a little scary. Because sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. You could do everything right on the court. And there's a small element of luck in basketball. There really is. You could feel that you're shooting well. And for whatever reason, the ball is a tiny fraction of an inch off. And instead of going in the basket, it bounces out. But, uh, you know, Phoenix, I look for them to prevail tonight to wrap, you know, the series up in uh, – and then they wait for the Golden State Memphis series. To me, Phoenix is still the favorites to go to the finals. Yeah, in the West, I I I would say they got an edge over the Warriors. I would say that. I think they're 
uh, yeah, I don't know, Jack. I, I just don't know anymore. I mean, I'm watching these playoff games, and these teams, so though they're different, a lot of them are different, they're the same. I mean, they 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 play their brand of basketball. When they're playing their brand of basketball, and other team is hurting a little bit, they can win. And well, you, you know, know what it is, Mac? They're both down. Memphis is down three two to the Warriors. Dallas is down three two to Phoenix. I give Memphis much more of a shot of upending the Warriors than Dallas does Phoenix. I mean, there's something about Memphis. Uh, they're going to keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, no matter what. And the games the Warriors won earlier this series, they had to pull out all the stops. They had to really, for the most part, you know, really play well. They had to be on their A game. If the Warriors on their A game, they'll they'll close Memphis out, either in game six or beat them in game seven. They won't let the series get away. But if they're not on their A game, they can, you know, they could actually lose this series on the other hand, Phoenix just has to be good to beat Dallas. I don't think they have to be at their absolute best. Just be good, be steady, and, and they'll advance. Good point. Let me change the background here. Right. Yes, sir. Period. Our NHL expert, Carter B., who joins us most Thursday. I mean, he's a busy guy. He's going to school. He's trying to. Uh, become very good at what he does, and uh, I support that totally, Jack. I think he's a great young man. And when you want to talk about hockey, there's nobody better. You could put Jim Berenger in there, you could put the Philly sports guy, you could put anybody you want. I'm glad we got Carter coming on here every week with us. How you doing today, Carter? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? Carter, you got to take that course in business administration if you become a GM at some point. Uh, I hope you don't fire, you know, coaches as much as, you know, a certain other GM does. But that's another issue we can get to later. So let, let's get that out of the way, Carter. I mean, Jack brought it up. I was going to wait. But I know uh, I know your feelings about Barry Trotz. Um, good coach, doing really uh, – did a lot with the Islanders the last couple of years, um, and they let him go. And I'm not sure if it's a right move or not. I, I, I think the Islanders fell off a little bit in the beginning of the year um, for some reason. Uh, you could blame the GM for that, right? I mean, you could blame for what he did in the offseason. Uh, injuries, every team has him, Carter. But what are your thoughts about Barry Trotz being released? Um. I guess uh, shock was my first, uh, you know, uh, the the first thing I felt. Um, you know, I, I think obviously I don't think anybody was really expecting, uh, you know, expecting this to happen. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, Lamarillo decided that, uh, you know, this was going to be the best course of action. 
action for the uh so um you know i guess now the uh the search for a new head coach begins well, so Trotz is going to get another job somewhere pretty oh. easily. They're going to be lining up certain teams to, you know, hire Barry Trotz. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine he's, you know, I, I think he's going to be out of work as long as he wants to be out of work, right? I mean, he could have a job by tomorrow if he wanted to, you know, if he wanted to coach again. So, um, you know, I'm curious to see what happens with that. I have a feeling that, you know, uh, I mean, he's dealt with a lot this year, obviously, is, uh, you know, his team had a rough season. Uh, you know, his mother passed away throughout the middle of the year too. So, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been a tough year for Barry Trotz, and I think Islander fans are wishing the best for him wherever he winds up going. Uh, you know, whether he uh, decides to coach again, or you know, there have been rumors that maybe he takes more of a front office role in a new organization. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But you know, we're uh, we're wishing all the best for for Trotz and his family. Well, just just let me make one last comment on this. Uh, the New Jersey Devils might actually be a destination the way I see it because they fire, they let go of a couple of their assistant coaches, and that's basically putting the head coach, Lindy Ruff, on notice that he's not that secure. But if Barry Trotz is available now, you know, maybe the Devils go all in because it would give them a certain credibility that they, they're kind of lacking a little bit at the present time. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of teams in that position that, um, you know, obviously see Barry Trotz as a coaching upgrade. And I think, you know, uh, even if they're an established head coach, I feel like, you know, a lot of coaches around the league might be a, a bit uneasy right now, knowing that Barry's on the open market and knowing that, you know, obviously with the pedigree that he has, a lot of teams would want to go after him. So what are your thoughts, Carter, on where the, uh, the Islanders will go? and their search for a coach. Are they going to turn to a guy that's more offensive? I mean, you know, we know Trotz is a defensive coach uh, that plays basic fundamental hockey, teaches it, swears by it. What do the Islanders do? I mean, do they go after somebody who, you know, wants to charge and wants to uh, uh, run off the offense? I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Nothing's really – come out about what Lou Lamarillo is looking for in his next head coach. And, um, you know, the way Lou Lamarillo runs his organization, nothing's going to until the new head coach is hired. So, uh, you know, I mean, if, if, if I'm talking about what I want personally, I would like to see someone who, um, well, first of all, opens up the system a little bit more. I think the, the system that Barry Trotz coached as as effective as it was, it's very taxing and it's very, um, you know, uh, tiring on the players and uh you know obviously everybody wants to see offense right everybody wants to see goals being scored so um yeah I'd, I'd obviously like to see a bit of you know a bit more offense bit more you know opening up of the old defensive system if you will and um I also want to see someone who would uh you know let the uh let the younger players have a bit more of a leash right I mean um you know if there's one thing that Barry Trotz was known for was uh, you know, always giving the, the veterans a little bit more of a leash than the younger players. So, um, you know, I mean, you, you got to allow these young players to be able to make a mistake and not bench them based on one thing. So uh, who knows? I mean, maybe this new coaching decision could be, uh, you know, a blessing in disguise for guys like Kiefer Bellows, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, even a guy in the blue line like Robin Sallow. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see where they turn. I, I don't know whether they go – 
internal, you know, within the organization. Maybe they look elsewhere, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about the playoffs, right? Um, the Rangers stay alive. They went five to three uh, versus the Penguins. But man, the Penguins are giving them everything they can handle this series, uh, Carter. Yeah, I uh, I didn't get to watch a ton of the game last night. I was at work, unfortunately. But uh, you know, it uh, it seemed like that second period. You know, it seemed like every time one team scored, the other one responded, no matter which one it was. So, um, you know, the uh, the Rangers wound up pulling it out in the end, and um, you know, they uh, they lived to fight another day for a game six. A combined four goals in two and a half minutes. Sidney Crosby. We don't know the extent of his injury. But if he's out the next, the rest of the series, I was going to say next two games, there might only be one game left. But how crucial is that? I mean, how big is that if Sidney Crosby can't play for uh, the Penguins? Yeah, it's it's incredibly crucial. I mean, um, you know, Crosby's your captain. He's your first-line center. He's, you know, he's everything to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, uh, you know, when he's not there, um, you know, everybody's got to push a little bit more to try and get the job done. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you look at the way that top line of, uh, of Crosby, Gensel and Russ has been absolutely tearing the Rangers apart. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be big if Crosby can't go for game six and seven, if there is one. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I saw a report, uh, from one of the Pittsburgh Penguins beat writers that Crosby was actually walking out of the garden last night. He seemed fine, but, uh, you know, I, I guess if he's being evaluated for an upper body injury, it really wouldn't matter at that point anyway. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I have a feeling, though, unless it's that serious where, you know, where uh, where Crosby really can't play, I, I, I'd i assume that we'll see him in uh, in game six on Friday. Definitely agree with that. Panthers go up 3-2 to two with 5-3 uh, win over the Capitals. Another good series. A lot of people thought the Panthers would kind of have their way with the Capitals. Capitals got different. I mean, the playoffs, Carter, have been excellent so far, uh, besides the Avalanche, right? I mean, everything else uh, is 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 coming down to the wire. Um, do you think the Capitals could bring it together and actually beat the Panthers? Uh, it sure likes it. it. It looks like it. I mean, you know, the the uh, the Capitals have given Florida a lot of fits this series, and um. You know, it's uh, it's been a series that I think a lot of people saw Florida beating the Capitals in a very one-sided matchup, and it's not, you know, it's not playing out that way. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think the big thing a lot of people look at is playoff experience with Washington compared to Florida. Obviously, they, uh, you know, o- Ovechkin and the core of the Washington Capitals have made it to a few, uh, you know, second rounds, Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, they won the Cup in 2018 compared to a Florida Panthers team that, you know, sure, there have been a few players that have made it deep in the first round. But outside of that, there's really been no real Stanley Cup pedigree there, right? So, um, you know, I think Washington, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're playing well right now. I mean, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens now. They're you, down you're going back. in the series, right? Yeah. Sorry. They're down three two. So how well can they be playing? I, they I mean, they beat them yesterday. They were up. You know, they had the game. It looked like they won their way to three two series lead, and Florida came back on them. I considering a lot of people had the Panthers sweeping them or beating them yes. in five games. I think they're playing pretty well. I do too, and I still think they got a shot at them. Um, Calgary, 
There's a three to one win over the Stars. They go up three to two. Um, the Stars again. I mean, they're not backing down from Calgary at all. You said the Stars had a real good team this year, Carter. Um, possibly, can the Stars hang in there and win this series too? Uh, for the sake of my bracket, I hope not. But uh, <laughs> you know, um, Dallas. I mean, Dallas. You you, you figured they're going to give any team that they played, you know, a hard time. I mean, they're they're good uh, defensively. They're like the Islanders are, but in the Western Conference kind of thing. So they're, they're built a little more. Uh, you know, towards the physical style of play. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of the perfect storm, though, right, that they got matched up with a Flames team that plays a lot like they do, except they can score. So, right. um, you know, uh, Dallas, uh, you know, even though they fell last night to Calgary, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of positives you can take away from a game five like that. And now you're going back to your, uh, you know, in front of your home fans for game six. So it's, uh, it's do or die now for the Dallas Stars. Definitely. So the draft lottery uh, happened. I don't know if they started drafting or not uh, yet, Carter, but Montreal gets the first pick. The Devils, the second, Arizona, the third, Seattle, the fourth, Philly, the fifth. The Blue Jackets and Buffalo get two picks in the first round. Does that matter after the first, say, eight players, uh, Carter? I mean, I know, you know, hockey is a little different than than football and 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 uh, uh, basketball, it's a lot like baseball in a way, right? They want to take their players and they want to kind of groom them a little bit and, 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 and make sure not too many rookies come up and play right away. So would you rather be the Canadians getting that first round pick, that first pick, or would you rather be the Blue Jackets or Buffalo getting two picks in the first round? Um, I, I, I think it's uh... – you know, I think it depends on the strength of the draft. I think, um, you know, 2023, the next year's draft is supposed to be really, really deep. So, um, you know, if we're talking about a team that has two picks in that draft, I would definitely be happier with that. Uh, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, for, for all of these teams, draft time is an exciting time. Obviously, you know, it's it's kind of their Stanley Cup playoffs, if you will, right? So, um, you know, I, I don't really know if it's better to better to have – one pick or two if, as long as you get the guy that you want at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I think a lot of these players are excited, uh, you know, to see where their careers are going to wind up. And a lot of these teams are excited to see who ca- who they can, uh, you know, who they can pick up with their first round picks. Carter, is there any consensus player that everyone feels should be taken number one or the first few players basically on the same level? Uh, right now, it looks like there are a few players on the same level. Um, you know, it looks like there's one player playing out of uh, Kingston in the OHL. Uh, Shane Wright, he looks like to be the, uh, you know, he's pulling away a little bit in terms of the first overall pick. But, uh, you know, it's it's still relatively close. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't always matter, though, who's the consensus first overall pick, though, right? If certain teams have certain players higher in their draft board than others, then, you know, they'll they'll go off the board to take them. Um, the Islanders are picking at number 13, uh, Carter. So down the line a little bit, but as you said, you know, uh, it's still uh, the first round. There's still quality players out there. If you're if you're the GM of the Islanders, are you, are you looking for a little more offense, defense? I mean, your overall picture of your team. Um, I mean, I, you got you got old on defense. Your offense, you do have some young players there, as you said, weren't really given a chance to play. So 
I would imagine they'll try. I don't know if they'll even try to hire a head coach before the draft. I would do that. I mean, if I was a GM, I want my coach involved in it somewhat. Uh, but if you're a GM, what do you? What area are you looking at? Uh, it's the same thing that I mentioned before with uh, with hiring a head coach. I mean, we're not going to know what Lou Lamarillo wants in the draft until the pick is made. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to draft another offensive-minded forward. Um, and, uh, you know, I know a lot of people might be looking at the pick like, oh, it's 13th overall. It doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, for the record, the Islanders haven't had a first-round pick since 2019. So. Right. Instantly, it's, you know, it's an upgrade over where they've picked in the last two drafts. So, um, you know, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to be excited to watch the draft. I'm going to be excited to see what they do in the draft. And um, as as far as hiring a head coach goes before the draft, I feel like they, uh, you know, I would like to see one hired before then, um, you know, just to be able to, uh, you know, interact with the players, just kind of, you know, welcome them to the organization um, but outside of that, I, I'd like to see them hire a coach at least before free agency. So, you know, that's definitely a big drawing factor for a lot of players. Well, any coach the Islanders gets just going to be an extension of Lou Lamorello. He's going to do exactly what Lou Lamorello wants. Like an established coach like Barry Trotz could have his own voice and maybe, you know, do his thing. And Lamorello can only push so far unless he fires him. But I think any new coach now, Lamorello is going to get someone who's going to do exactly 100% of what he wants. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And, um, you know, again, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see which route Lou Lamorello decides to go, whether he goes for a more, uh, you know, a more internal based option, maybe like Elaine Lambert, who who's served, uh, you know, as, as an associate alongside Barry Trotz for a long time or. Um, you know, maybe he decides to go elsewhere, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Carter, always great having you on. You can give us so much information, insight. And, uh, you know, like I said, every Thursday, Carter, 830 here on the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're in playoffs. We've got the draft going on. Everything's happened right now. Just one quick thing I want to ask Carter before he goes. Uh, we didn't touch upon it. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are down 3-2 to the Maple Leafs. Do they come back and win Tampa Bay or does Toronto hold them off? Um, I don't know. I mean, this uh, you know, this Leafs team looks a lot better than me. Odd. I don't want to hear you don't know. Prediction. Give me a prediction. I'm putting you on the spot. Does Toronto close them out or does Tampa Bay show their championship pedigree and win game six and seven? Uh, I think it goes to a game seven. I don't know who wins. Oh, come on, Carter. I got you halfway there. Give me a prediction. Who's winning that series? Who do you think will win? Not who you want to win. Who do you, you think? It's a toss. It's tough, okay? It's tough to count Tampa Bay out because they're still the two-time defending champions. Uh, I don't It's so tough. I mean. <laughs> That's that why you're here, Carter. Answer the tough questions. Then Mac and myself combined. <laughs> Carter is not committing, it doesn't look like Jack. So, um, listen, I'll call it Toronto wins it, Jack. How's that? I think That's Toronto it. wins it. This is their time. I think so. I too. think Toronto wins the Stanley Cup. How's well, that? now you're now you're just just going crazy now. So uh, that's that's why we have Carter in and not you going over the hockey, Jack. Carter, again, thanks for coming in. Good luck. Keep on working and and doing your thing, Carter. And we'll see you again next week, my friend.
All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks Take a lot, Carla. So there you go, folks. Carter B with our uh, hockey report. Great insights by Card on the different players, like the oh. draft, like the stuff he was saying. Really good oh, insight. Always, always knows what's going on. In yeah. We're going to take an official timeout, folks. Do you want the other side? Giants expert. I mean, this guy did, works everywhere. He's the busiest man in sports. Lance Meadow, who will be coming on and talking about, we haven't talked to him in a while, about the Giants. And ESPN, Giants.com, Sirius. Giants kickoff. He's all over the place, covering NBA, covering the college, everything. Hey, I, I, if I have your permission, I'd like to mix in maybe one Jet question as well. I'm yeah. sure Lance would be willing to answer. We have we have Jetman coming on for that later. Well, on. I'll ask him a Giant question. We'll leave well, it Well, you know, Jackie, you're just throwing a wrench and everything, but of course you can do what you want. Mm -hmm. Folks, we'll be right back after these messages. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy, but your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those Speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org.
job is done. This guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. Now how do you handle a hungry man? The manhandlers. One of the manhandlers is Campbell's Vegetable Beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The manhandlers. If you talk, you may will hear you every single time. Now we get killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle and some other kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, though. But they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show as we start our week off here Sunday, Sunday through Thursday, or Sunday through Thursday, uh, 8 to 10 a.m. here on Northeast Streaming Sports. Uh, hopefully scheduled in is Lance Meadow from the New York Giants, uh, our expert that comes and joins us every now and then. Uh, we're looking forward to him coming in, and, uh, you know, we'll talk a lot about the Giants. I got we got a little while we got a little time, Jack. Let's talk a little bit about the Tom Brady deal, right? It's all over the networks. Tom Brady was signed uh, after he retired. And you know something? I hate the way some announcers uh, give Brady a pass, right? He came out of retirement. Now, he, what happened was the deal fell through in Miami. We all know it now. So he had to go back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's get that straight, first of all. Second of all, when he retires, he's going to get 10 years, $375 million. That's what's reported, Jack. Um, and, you know, I don't know how good Tom Brady will be commenting or analyzing games. We all know that he's he's won a lot of games, that he's fiery on the sidelines. I'm thinking that people might think, <laughs> and I'm hoping, that if Tom Brady is an analyst, he brings the same personality, right? That he's he's into the game. I mean, he knows the game like the back of his hand, as far as reading defenses and what teams will probably do. But he's got to have some kind of personality there. If he's just going to kind of sit back and you know say everybody's trying hard and all that, I you know that won't interest me. 
I want to see him be as fiery as he's on the sidelines, Jeff. You know, it's interesting. Peyton Manning has resisted doing this for since he's retired. The networks were really after Peyton Manning to be a broadcaster. And I'm sure they would have made him the highest paid analyst in the NFL. I mean, when you look at what Tom Brady's getting paid, he's getting he's going to be getting paid more than Troy Aikman and Tony Romo combined. Each of those two are, are going to be getting paid 18 million a year, and Brady's going to be getting paid 37 and a half million and having a 10-year contract. And as you say, we don't know how good Tom Brady's going to be. We know he's got a great personality. We do know that. He's very well-spoken. But after the initial novelty of Tom Brady being a broadcaster wears off, people aren't going to catch Tom Brady. They just want to hear good analysis. That's that. What's so funny about what I'm saying, Mac? You seem to be I, I, your- I, I'm just, I'm just, I think you're right. I think you're right. And what we're going to do is we're going to hold off on that conversation until later because I got I got a lot of thoughts I want to ask you right now. Behind in underneath me in the studio is New York Giant expert Lance Meadow, and we haven't talked to him for a while, Jack. The man's I, I've been following him; he's all over the place. So you let me ramble with Lance Meadow on the sideline, ready to go into the game. You left me in. Well, I, I let you finish up your statement. As you saw, I cut you off very quickly. So let's bring Giants expert. Listen, I mean, I don't know how many people I would compare Lance Meadow to. I mean, Lance, who who would you think you compare to as far as knowledge of the Giants? Would it be Papa John? Wow. Well, I mean, you guys really utilize the term expert very loosely on this program. I will tell you that first. So, you know, I, I like to put myself in a league of its own, if I could say, as opposed to making a comparison to anybody else. So you could throw me out on an island and determine who you want to compare me to yourselves. I'm not one to uh, pat myself on the back too much. I, I, I understand that. And that's the true professional you are. And I understand you're being very politically correct, but I'm listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell everybody that I think you're the best. Period. I mean, I, I we've spoke a lot about the Giants from everything from draft to position coaches to plans, and your analysis is second to none, Lance. And I'm gonna tell you that straight up. And well, I certainly appreciate the kind words, Mac. The check is in the mail. I don't know if uh, it's gonna be a little listen, bit slow. Not- I just want you to know. Yes. Lance, I have tremendous respect for you, but I'm not going to be quite as complimentary as Mac, only because when a team picks number five and number seven in the first round, I don't think they can botch it up in the sense that no matter who they pick, anyone analyzing it's going to say, oh, wow, what a wonderful pick. Well, I think the reason why you're not buttering me up is because I already said the check was in the mail for Mac, so you were a little bit late. In terms of joining the party, well, yeah, it all yeah. serious. I mean, the mail comes slow yes. these days. We know that it's not as quick as it used to be. Well, see, uh, I mean, listen, you got to have that jab ready to go. Okay, yeah. you know, if you're a little bit slow, you're gonna go down, and uh, you're not gonna be able to regroup. But in all seriousness, in terms of your point, yeah, when you're picking in the top ten, Jack, there's no doubt about it. I think the percentages increase, but it's an inexact science. We could go back through NFL history, and I'll find your top ten picks that didn't necessarily pan out, and. The reason being is because let's not forget, not only do you need two to three years removed from the draft to truly analyze a pick and how well 
they fit into the system, but the environment's going to shape the player. Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal are going to be shaped by the coaching of the Giants staff and the guys that play around them. As yeah, great as they are as individuals on the collegiate level, we still need to see how they fit into this equation. For example, if somebody else like Azizo Jalari doesn't win his battles, then Kayvon's going to be double teamed and may not have a lot of favorable opportunities. Let's see how Evan Neal goes back to right tackle, which he didn't play until two years ago, and also playing next to Mark Lewinsky and a lot of the other new offensive linemen that are going to be thrown into the mix. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but there's a lot of elements in play, to your point. As far as the upside, they needed to address the trenches, guys. There was no doubt about it. They only had 34 sacks last season. They needed somebody else to draw attention in terms of getting to the quarterback. And I think we've been talking about the offensive line for the last few years. So it goes without saying that they needed to not only draft somebody, but somebody that could actually be a staple and a consistent force. And now I think on paper, you have Andrew Thomas on the left. You have Evan Neal on the right. You have two young guys that were drafted over the last three years. And now it's in the hands of the coaching staff, a new coaching staff and a new scheme to get those guys to the level where you're not questioning week in and week out what you're getting production-wise and consistency out of the two most important positions on the offensive line, which is to protect your quarterback, but also slow down the edge rushers. Listen, well, I, agree. I agree with everything you say. So what I want to do, since it's been a while, I want to talk to you about the moves the Giants made, GM, coaches, their staff, before we get into the players somewhat. Uh, new GM, showing comes over. From Buffalo, uh, it tells you uh, what the Giants owners are thinking, right? They want to get a little bit more offensive. He brings in the offensive assistant offensive coordinator, Dubal. They've worked together. They know each other. Again, Buffalo's known for scoring more than its defense. I don't care what anybody says. Their defense is nowhere close to their offense. So we know the direction just by those two hirings, uh, Lance, that the Giants want to get more offensive. Do you agree with that? 100%. I think if you look at their production over the last two seasons, if that wasn't the goal, then something else is the problem that has not been elevated to the forefront at this point. They barely were able to average, Mac, 20 points per game over the last two seasons. So it's a must. Yeah. They have to be able to put more points on the board. The other person I would throw into the mix is Mike Kafka, yes. the offensive coordinator that they brought over because – if you look at what Kafka comes from at Kansas City and how they utilize various pieces and got guys out in open space, and you look at some of the personnel they brought in, which you were alluding to this offseason, Wondell Robinson, who they just drafted in the second round, a smaller guy in stature, but similar to the McCole Hardmans of the world in Kansas City or the Isaiah McKenzie's in Buffalo. So I think if you look at the personnel that you brought in, it's Kafka and Dable that are putting their stamp on this offense, given how, once again, they tapped into some skill sets in their previous stops. But yeah, they have to be able to, and I don't even know if this is feasible, guys, within the span of one year, because I have yet to see it done consistently. And if you remember, I brought this up last offseason when we were also talking about the offense needs to improve. What's the chances that this unit, regardless of what Dable and Kafka have been able to do with their previous stops, increases its scoring load by a touchdown per game on average, I'm talking about? We're talking about an offense that averaged about 17 a game. Do you think they could get to 24 or 25 within the span of one season? I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you look at NFL history, you'd be very hard-pressed to find the team that jumped a touchdown over the span of one year. So that's the type of mountain we're talking about. 
that they need to overcome to get to the level of respectability where you start saying, I'm not even talking about scratching the surface of winning the division or dreams of grandeur with respect to the playoffs. I'm just talking about being competitive within the division week yeah. to week and not putting a lot of pressure on a defense. Remember, guys, they don't have Patrick Graham anymore. Now it's a new defensive coordinator. Wink Martindale's trying to fit these new pieces into the equation. So with so many movable parts, if you're the Giants, you can't bank on the defense doing all the heavy lifting because now all of a sudden the X's, is o, the X's and O's is changing at this point. But yeah, Blake I, Martinez coming back, I could be a difference maker this year. He came back for low money because he's really committed. And I think that hurt the Giants last year more than most people realize. 100%. He went down, if you remember, early in the season against yeah. the Falcons, and they didn't really have a veteran middle linebacker to replace him. They had a few young guys who they wanted to test the waters with, and they brought in Jalen Smith, if you guys recall, the former Dallas Cowboys. So it was a little bit of piecemeal in the middle of the defense, and there were two things that impacted the Giants, and I'm glad you brought up Blake Martinez. The Giants struggled to stop the run last season in comparison to two years ago, and before the season started, I said, Watch out for the loss of Dalvin Tomlinson. That could very well be a significant factor, not just in terms of stopping the run, but also clogging up the middle and opening things up for Leonard Williams and some of the other pieces. And what happened is I think Dalvin was such a force at the nose tackle position. Teams didn't have to worry about him. And Danny Shelton, I don't think, played at the same level as Dalvin Tomlinson. And as a result, it impacted your pass rush. But as you were hitting on, it also impacted your ability to stop the run. That was still with Blake Martinez in the mix, guys. Then you lose Blake Martinez, so now you have a hole up the gut on two layers of your defense. And I don't think they really truly ever recovered from that. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it. The return of Blake Martinez is a big step in the right direction. But I still think who plays up front if Dexter Lawrence is going to assume that nose tackle role especially now that they picked up that fifth-year option because he was in the same draft class as Daniel Jones, can you slow down the interior runs so that you open up more opportunities for the edge guys? I agree. And, you know, there's one stat I, I read, uh, Lance, was the Giants were the last in the league at pre-snap movement. They had their set. That was pretty much it. They ran their play, and they never moved their receivers around like other teams to kind of mess with the defense a little bit. That's kind of, uh, you know, what what the Giants' offense was the last couple of years. I would imagine with this new offense Buffalo has, you're going to start seeing receivers going in motion, maybe the tight ends going in motion, and trying to put some pressure on a defense instead of just letting them sit back and start doing their reads. Yeah, to your point, I do think you're going to see a little bit more creativity which is what you're hitting on with respect to just the offensive structure. And I go back to the influence of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. If you go back and you watch Chiefs games, and I understand Kafka wasn't the offensive coordinator, but he clearly was influenced by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, who were running the offense. I mean, they were trying to dig deep into their bag of tricks on a weekly basis. I remember there was a spin move, like a dance move that three guys did in the backfield, if you recall. So he's going to, I'm sure, bring that over. And then if you watch Buffalo, now, granted, they did have Josh Allen and his efficiency as a runner. Let's not forget about that. But Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Isaiah McKenzie, who I referenced earlier, the various running backs, they did move that personnel around. So I think they're going to try to lean on that philosophy to help out Daniel Jones as well as the offensive line. But, guys, make no mistake about it. No matter how creative they get, 
no matter how much they want to try to throw off the defense we just hit on. It's still going to come down to Daniel Jones staying durable, meaning staying on the field, which has been a struggle each of his first three seasons, and also him taking it up a notch in terms of his level of efficiency. Because as much as we want to talk about the offense is influenced by a million different pieces, and I'm the first one to campaign for that, it still goes back to the most important position in the NFL. You need to know what you're getting out of your quarterback on a weekly basis. And compared mm-hmm. to other teams in the division right now, if we just look at the NFC East, I think the Giants don't know as much as what some of the other teams have with respect to their quarterbacks. And that's certainly a huge difference maker. I think Very- this is a make or break year for Daniel Jones. I think the Giants base their GM and coach hiring on the development of uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, case in point, Mitch Trubisky was Brian DeBall's guy, you know, backup quarterback with the Buffalo Bills when he was the offensive coordinator there. And suppose reportedly they had a close relationship, but Mitch Trubisky decided to go with the Steelers because Brian DeBall, whether he wanted to or not, I think had to be committed to uh, to Daniel Jones because that's why he got the job based on that in large part, at least. Well, I do think that they want to see Daniel Jones blossom. You go back to the comments that John Mara mentioned right after the season when they were introducing the GM and the head coach, and he was asked about Daniel Jones, and he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, we've done everything to screw the kid up. And he's talking about the environment around the quarterback, and there's certainly justification to make that argument. But at the same time, Daniel also has to stay on the field, availability. He's missed at least two starts each of his first three seasons. So it's really, it's a combination, him staying healthy and the factors around him. As far as your point about Mitchell Trubisky, I think with Trubisky, though, it was finances as well. Remember, the Giants weren't in a good cap situation, Jack. I don't think they had the luxury to go out and make a splash for another quarterback, even if you looked at him as a backup. Tyrod Taylor did not get a lot of money, who I think is a very solid backup and has done wonders for the teams that he's been on. He has starting experience. They needed to upgrade the backup quarterback position. A, because Daniel Jones hasn't stayed healthy. And B, if you look at what transpired last season when Daniel did get hurt, it was hard to even see to get three to seven points on the board. And, you know, that goes back to a lot of issues, of course, on offense. But I think, really, the quarterback position was at the center of that. So that was, without saying, they needed to upgrade that position. But the whole whispers about Trubisky, they may have wanted to bring in perhaps some competition or some more luxury, but I don't think the money afforded them the ability to do that. So that's why I never thought they were going to make a huge splash for a backup or a pseudo starter, whatever it may be. But yeah, Daniel Jones, he didn't get his option picked up. So he's entering the fourth and final year of his contract. And it goes without saying, he certainly needs to make a statement. And Here's the other thing, guys. I don't know because a lot of people ask me this question. Even if Daniel does have his most productive season, that would only be one year. I still think if you're the Giants, I don't know how good you feel about giving him a long-term contract. I think you would maybe give him a one-year deal with a team option or you'd give him the franchise tag or something down that road to still give you some wiggle room to truly determine whether or not he is your guy. Great well, we discussed that with my Jets with Sam Donald. You felt they should have maybe kept him. And based on what he did with Carolina, the jury's still out. It gets to a point with a, a guy, especially a quarterback, 
where you can't keep evaluating them year after year after year. There gets a, there has to be a stopping point. Either he's your guy or he's not your guy. You can't be going halfway with them. And that's where the Giants seem to be with Daniel Jones right now. They're kind of halfway. They hope he's their quarterback of the future, but they're not sure. At some point, you got to make a very firm decision either way. Well, I wholeheartedly agree with you, but I think the common element, Jack, between Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones that you brought up is it was a revolving door of coaches and offensive coordinators around those two guys. So you could argue the teams contributed to being in their current status of not knowing what they have in their quarterback because they constantly made the changes to change the OC as well as the head coach. I'm not coming to the defense of Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones. You know, they have to prove it themselves. But in fairness, if you look at NFL history, let's not remove the team decision-making from the equation and say that they didn't contribute to why they still don't know about those two quarterbacks. Yeah, I think the question is has, has a lot to do with the team. You know, you, you look at the Joe Burrows. You look, you, you look at star special quarterbacks out there that can almost carry a team. They, they don't care. They get hit. They're going to get, you know, they're going to have to run. They're going to have to be smart. I think those are a certain level, Lance, right? I think I think these guys are at a certain level. And I think there's another level down the Tannehills, maybe the Daniel Jones, maybe the Sam Darnolds that can win. But I don't they're not gonna be uh, a young, crazy quarterback like a Herbert or a or, or or somebody like that who can come in and just start taking over games. Well, to your point. I always say you can't remove the elements around the quarterback, but a few of the guys that you named, the difference between them and some of the others we've been discussing is if it's non-ideal forces around you, can you still handle that and can right. you be productive? And Herbert, to me, is a very good example because if you go back to Justin's rookie year with the Chargers, they did not have a very good offensive line. He was pressured more often than not. And if you go back and you look at his numbers, and I've raised this point more often than not, he was actually more efficient with pressure in his face than when actually the conditions were ideal, which is amazing. So then what did the Chargers do, guys, the following offseason? They upgraded the offensive line. They drafted Rashawn Slater. They brought in Corey Lindsley at the center position, Matt Filer, the former Steeler. So they now gave him help after a year in which he actually proved, hey, if things are not great, I can still perform. So those guys have the it factor, which right. is when things are hectic around them, they still have the ability to all of a sudden compute what's happening and excel. Yeah. And not everybody fits that bill. There are other quarterbacks that Daniel Jones is the Sam Darnold's potential upside, but you can't expect them to go above the X's and O's, as I like right. to say it, yeah. and do things that are unexpected, meaning you still need to create an environment that is as close to ideal as humanly possible. So, yes, that's the difference between the layer of these quarterbacks. Everyone needs help, okay? Let's not be naive. Even Aaron Rodgers needs help, as we sure. saw in the playoffs, right? He sure. needs his special teams perform, needs his defense, he needs his wide receivers to make catches. But Aaron Rodgers in particular and some of these other guys, they can go above the X's and O's, and I don't think we've seen that from Daniel Jones because I don't know necessarily if he's at that level compared to some of the other quarterbacks that we've mentioned. Talking about Daniel Jones, I mean, his number one weapon when healthy, you would think would be Saquon Barkley. But what can Saquon Barkley, even if he is healthy, be the player he was in his rookie year? 
Yeah, that's the other question. See, it just goes to show you, you think it stops and ends with Daniel Jones, but it doesn't. Yeah. Saquon Barkley, you're right. Helson needs to prove that he is durable. And can also he be a guy that you could rely on, guys, in terms of giving him the amount of touches that you did, if you remember his rookie year, when he had over 90 receptions and well over 1,000 yards? I don't know if you're the Giants, you want to put him in that position anymore because you may want to limit not the snap count, but just the amount of hits that he's going to take per game because of the baggage now that he's bringing to the table. But here's the other thing. The wide receiver core on paper, it looks like they have some substance. Kadarius Toney, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Wondell Robinson, Darius Slayton, right? I named five guys that certainly you could spread the wealth with, but now we peel back the layers. Galladay banged up last year. Tony barely got through his rookie year. Wondell Robinson, as dazzling as a player he is, remember, he's a smaller stature type of guy. So you wonder how many hits can he take over a 17-game season? Sterling Shepard coming off the Achilles injury, and Darius Slayton was a little bit banged up last year, though I think he's proven to be durable for the most part. I think people blow that a little bit out of proportion. The bottom line is, it's not just Barkley. It's the receiving core. Can that group stay healthy? That's just as much as part of the equation as we're talking about the quarterback. So. See, all of this is what you're banking on to try to determine what the Giants can do this season. And none of us have crystal balls. If I knew how many times you're going to have all five wide receivers out on the field and Saquon Barkley, I'd have a better gauge of perhaps what the Giants could do. But the bottom line is we're going into the land of the unknown. And the reason why is because we've had these conversations every single offseason. And we talk about, well, if the Giants reach ideal proportions, everybody stays healthy. Well, guys, hold on. Let's take a step back. We haven't seen that group fully healthy. So until we see it, it's very hard to operate under those circumstances. You know, you know, I agree with everything you say there, Lance, but other teams get injured too. Sure. And the, diff- the difference between the good teams and the bad teams are the teams that get injured, they continue to win and continue to play well. The bad teams, they just don't. And I think that's what we got. We got to get a good team there before we talk about anything as far as us making any kind of run. And that's going to take a little time. And I know uh, the Giant fans can be impatient, uh, but I hope uh, that they give the ball a couple years to get things going and kind of look at the little things and, and, and we start becoming good. That's what I'm looking for. Well, I think you bring up a great point. And what you're touching on, Mac, is you're touching on the depth factor. Yeah. When guys get hurt, who are your starters? Do you have options behind them that could step up and the level of performance doesn't drop immensely? And I think the reason why the Giants have been in this position is you have to go back to the draft. You know, they missed on a lot of guys in not just the top rounds. I'm talking about you really start to build your depth in your team in rounds three and downward. And if you go back and you look at the return in those rounds, it's not overwhelming. And part of that is the changes in coaching staff and management. And some guys who brought these players in, they love them. And then a new group comes in and they don't see them the same way. So you're going to have turnover, but that's where you really make inroads to your point of becoming a more competitive team and not worrying so much that if we lose our top two receivers, oh boy, we're going to be in trouble because that's the difference between the other teams you were referring to and the New York Giants, it's when they suffer injuries, they don't have as many question marks. So that's where the Giants need to get. Lance, Kadarius Tony is going to be under the microscope. And my feeling is if the Giants didn't pick him, 
number one in the draft last year, 20th overall, when they traded down with the Bears, he'd be gone. And the talk was he was on the verge of being gone because there's certain attitude issues. But as we know, when the guy's a number one pick, you virtually never cut him after one year. Where does he stand, Kadarius Tony, right now? Well, he stands in terms of getting a new light because of the fact that it's a new coaching staff and new management. Remember, the people that you were referring to that brought him into the organization are no longer here. Dave Gettleman was the one that made that trade with the Bears for Justin Fields. He's not here anymore. Joe Shane is getting to know Kadarius Tony. Same thing with Brian Dable compared to Joe Judge. So I don't really think he's on. They, was talk, they were going to cut him. The new regime was going to cut him. That's what the talk was. Uh, well, listen, Jack, if you <laughs> believe everything that you read on the internet and everything else, I got a few bridges in New York City I could sell to you. So you talk to me and I'll have my people speak to your people. You can't necessarily you know, buy into all the chatter. I find it hard to believe that there was a lot of validity that they were going to cut ties with a guy who still has a great deal of upside because he barely played half a season last year, guys. I mean, you know, let's take a step back. As much as people get frustrated, and you know where the frustration is, Jack? The frustration is the fact that he didn't show up for off-season workouts immediately, if you recall. Remember that big story? I think that's what you were reading. And, you know, all the whispers. And the bottom line is, I continue to emphasize this. It's voluntary. And I'm not making an excuse for the player. But the bottom line is, if, hold on, Jack, all right, before you counter me, if it was so important, okay, if these off-season workouts, Jack, and I, I get ready for the counter here, okay, because I like, I got my gloves up. If it was so important, why do they not write in the CBA that it's mandatory for everybody to attend? That's on the union and the National Football League. Stop blaming players for not showing up to voluntary workouts. If you want them to show up, then make them mandatory in the CBA and negotiate that. I'm tired of players getting criticized when they have every right. That would be the equivalency, guys, of if you gave me 20 vacation days and you got annoyed at me for using all 20 because you only expected me to use 10. Well, then what are you giving me 20 vacation days for? It's true. What's the yeah, point? They're expected to be there. Let's face it. All the coaches expect them to be, and that's been a common practice that you show up no matter what it says contractually. And not, you know, the Giants made two offseason moves where two of the favorites moved on. Evan Ingram, finally. You know, that I always liked Evan Ingram a lot. He, great potential. He went to Jacksonville. And Jabrell Peppers, you know, went to New England. I mean, I would think uh, Jabrell Peppers leaving, that surprised me more than Ev Evan Ingram. Well, you talk about two guys that were free agents. So, I mean, they essentially had the rights to leave. And it goes back to money. With Peppers, here's the thing. You had Xavier McKinney, who you drafted two years ago. And I think that his role will continue to grow and showed some nice flashes last season. So I think they feel good that McKinney could be that jack-of-all-trades type of safety who you could play deep, you could play a little bit near the line of scrimmage. Remember, they also drafted Dane Belton out of Iowa, who I think is a very intriguing prospect because he played the cash role for the Hawkeyes, where he was sort of a hybrid safety linebacker. I think he could maybe help fill in the void left behind by Jabril Peppers. So I do think they have some options, Jack that could take on the role that Peppers assumed. He but returned yeah, no two Peppers. So that's Peppers a... did return. But here's the thing. You drafted Wondell Robinson, who has return ability. Tony certainly can return the football, assuming mm -hmm. he could stay healthy. And you have some other wide receivers, like Robert Foster, who they brought in, who not a lot of people are talking about, and I didn't bring up earlier. He was mainly a special teamer, and he's a big vertical threat. 
He's like a John Ross-esque type of guy, maybe not as fast. If you look at it, he's averaged about 20 yards per reception in his career. So if he makes the team, he could be that deep threat because I hear a lot of Giants fans saying, well, they don't really have a deep threat. Robert Foster has the ability to assume that role. He just, once again, needs to make the team. He's no lock because they certainly have some competition on the back end, but he's also a return guy. And Richie James is another guy a lot of people are not talking about. They signed him from the Niners. He's been hurt a little bit, but he also a huge return guy. So I just named you four, five guys who I think certainly can compete and make up for Peppers in that regard. I, I agree, Lance. Uh, before before we let you go, I, I got so much stuff to ask you, but I'm not going to keep it too not too much longer here. What is, what is your outlook on, you know, we talked about where the Giants are going. We, we, we talk about where they seem to be headed. If you were to, 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 you know, sit down and evaluate their moves they made as far as coaches, as far as the draft, as far as everything else goes, I mean, in just the, the amount you know about football and about the Giants, are, are we going to, are we going to, uh, is there hope or is this just another uh, wait and see thing? I want to hear there's a little hope, Lance. <laughs> well, I certainly think there's hope because whenever there's a new regime that comes in and a new philosophy, you're not expecting it to be the duplication of what transpired the previous time. But keep in mind, Jack and Mac, we have had these conversations in previous years when new coaches and new GMs came in and it was the same thing. How much hope is there? And once again, I'm not trying to you know, say there is no hope. I'm just trying to bring some perspective here. This revolving door has happened a lot. And I know a lot of fans, they get excited every time there's newness. And that's rightfully so. But you don't snap your fingers in the NFL and everything else all of a sudden is great now. To me, was, I look at it from a variety look, of different factors. What were you going to say? You're, unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles, Lance. Unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, no, but, but here's the thing with the Eagles, okay? Philadelphia, despite the fact that they did bring in Nick Sirianni, the infrastructure that was in place, Mac, I would argue, was very different than what the Giants had. They had a very good defensive line, okay? Veterans were still on the team, and they've added even more. The offensive line was in pretty good shape. It wasn't like what the Giants were. You didn't know what you had in Jalen Hurts, okay? But Nick Sirianni also came over from a Colts team where they didn't have overwhelming weapons, but they had a good infrastructure. They were strong in the trenches. So he brought over essentially what Indy was able to duplicate. So I think it was a little bit different in terms of what Philly was working with, with the Giants. See, with the Giants, it's not just who's directing traffic. It's also the personnel on the roster. And that goes to my second point. Joe Shane came in and pretty much reconfigured the offensive line. Now, whether or not these guys pan out, that remains to be seen. But you can't criticize him for not doing the things he needed to. You've got a new center at John Feliciano. You brought in Mark Lewinsky, who came from the Colts, to play right guard. You got a new right tackle in Evan Neal. Andrew Thomas was your one piece you want to build upon. In left guard, there's going to be competition. But the bottom line is it's probably going to be somebody new that didn't start last year because even if Shane Lemieux wins the job, Lemieux didn't play last year. So you're going to have somebody new. So the bottom line is four of your five offensive linemen are new. So mission accomplished on paper from that standpoint in terms of infusing new blood. You brought in Kayvon Thibodeau. You need somebody to draw attention opposite Leonard Williams or Aziz Ojolari. Because I think the problem with the Giants was nobody looked at their defensive front and said, oh boy, we got to worry about putting more attention that way. 
now you have two young guys. It's now on them to blossom into guys that could get eight, nine sacks a season. And maybe you could get to the double digits. You do that, okay, now we've got something to talk about. The secondary is still very young. You don't have Bradbury. And Dory Jackson is your only veteran. So I think there's going to be some growing pains back there, especially Wink Martindale expects his guys to cover on the back end. So that's still a question mark. And can the receivers stay healthy? You know, that to me is the question mark on the offensive side of the ball. So you did address major areas, but once again, the durability and health of this team is going to tell a lot in terms of the level of competitiveness that I think we're going to see from this group. Lance, the Giants are not going to hear the end of it if N'Kobe Dean comes up big for the Philadelphia Eagles because he was there to be drafted. I'm not talking about, obviously, they weren't going to take him in the first round with the two picks, but he was there for the Giants to take, and he would... And he, he just better not be outstanding for Philadelphia. And, and if the Giants uh, struggle, you know, the linebacker position, they're I, not going to hear the end of it. I worry yeah. about that, Jim. Yeah, I just – I don't think you can worry too much about that. You can't worry about what everybody else around the Giants is doing. The Giants need to handle their own business. And here's the other thing. How many conversations are we going to continue to have on a related note when the Eagles jumped the Giants and took Devontae Smith? It's the same conversation. Yeah. What if the Giants got Devontae Smith? And I'm not saying that they would have absolutely drafted him if they didn't make the Justin Fields trade, but are you going to sit here for years moving forward and saying Devontae Smith was the missing ingredient? And if they had him, the Giants would be in a no, much different no, position? No, no, yeah, no. They might say it about Micah Parsons. But listen, when a team starts doing quarterback sneaks, you know, nine yards out. I don't, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> well, but you know what, Jack, what you just basically lined up there was where the Giants offense was overall. That's why we go back to what we were talking about right. earlier. They have to improve by about a touchdown a game to right. get to the point where you take pressure off of your defense and you don't feel overwhelmed. That's where they were last year. So, I mean, no, that's last, a very year they were, last year, some people were picking them to win the division last year. And now, you know, it wouldn't be a viable prediction to say they'd win the division. It's coming down between the Cowboys and the Eagles. And the Giants are kind of in a bit of a rebuild mode. They weren't quite in the rebuild mode, mode going into last season, but this season they are. Well, but there were question marks last year, though. Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to say maybe they were in the position they were in, I mean, we could spin it any way you want. But the bottom line is they still had question marks and concerns going into last season. And while my favorite line is nobody's won back-to-back -back division titles, there's a high turnover rate. And Philadelphia was a bit of a pleasant surprise, which is, I think, what yeah. Mac was alluding to last year. I don't think the Giants are in the same position roster-wise yeah, that Philadelphia good. was in at this point last year. So that's the biggest difference. I agree. I agree, uh, Lance. And again, thank you for coming in. Of course, Thanks. we'll be contacting you in the future to come in again as the Giants season progresses. Uh, they got to become good before they can become really good, Lance. And that's all I'm looking for. You got to be competitive and you got to be consistent to be competitive as right. we peel back the layers of that statement. Yeah. Again, folks, Lance Meadow, Giants expert uh, to me, the best in the business. Lance, again, thanks for coming in, my friend. Good well, stuff, appreciate Lance. you guys having me on. Always a pleasure talking Giants football in the NFL. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Thank you, Lance. Thanks, Lance. So there you go, folks. The great Lance Meadow. I oh, I enjoy having him on uh, every chance we get. A true professional and uh, one of the best broadcasters, uh, uh, experts in the game with anything. I mean, the guy's all over the place. So, folks, we're going to take our last break for today. 
We got some MLB to get uh, get in, and we also got a little bit of Tom Brady to finish up on because this story interests me. Leave I, Brady alone. Leave I mean, Aaron Rodgers alone. I mean, You're not going after these elite quarterbacks, man. No, no, no. I'm talking about broadcasting, Jack. I got, I, I got, I want to get your thoughts on broadcasters in general. Uh, the color coordinator, commentators. We'll we'll talk about it a little bit when we get back. So, uh, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. I heard you want to be a Frito Bandido like me. You do? Then you must sing the Bandido song. Let's sing together. You just follow the bouncing Frito Scorn Chips bag. Ay, 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 ay. I am the Frito Bandido, baby. I like Frito Scorn Chips. I love them, I do. I want Frito Scorn Chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, I am the Frito Bandido. Give me Frito Scorn Chips and I'll be your friend. The Frito Bandido, you must not offend. Now, boys and girls, you are Frito Bandidos, too. You sing the Frito Bandido song, and you look for crunchy Fritos corn chips. That's nice. Munch, munch, munchy, munchy Fritos corn chips. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboy fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, isn't he? Alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. Alex is just... And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. The Hometown Foundation is excited to bring back the Dream Ride Experience, August 26th to the 28th at Connecticut's Farmington Polo Club. Join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our Dream Riders while enjoying live music, a car and motorcycle show, family fun zone, pet adoptions, canine demonstrations, the Fireman's Chili Cook-Off, and much, much more. Get your tickets today. 
Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch. As we're on live Roku, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, we're all over the place, and we'll be coming to more outlets after we end the program. Just had on Carter B., great, great analysis of the hockey situation. Of course, Lance Meadow, who we enjoy having on every time he can get on, and he's, he's gracious enough to come on and talk with us. So, uh, Jack, we were talking a little bit before I get to the MLB. I want, I just want your opinion. The three main color commentators, I think, in football today are Troy Aikman, um, uh, Collinsworth, and Tony Romo. And I want you to rate them. Who was your first that you like to listen to to your last? Uh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to rate them in a particular order. I mean, they're all actually going to be moving around. Troy Aikman was with Fox, with Joe Buck forever, and they're moving to ESPN. So they're moving to a different format. How they're going to come across on the screen with a different network, you know, kind of remains to be seen. Uh, you, they usually work Sunday afternoons, and now they're going to have like Monday nights, you know, that thing. And Chris Collinsworth, he was teamed up with uh, Al Michaels, you know, all those years uh, on NBC. And now Al Michaels is moving to Amazon. And what's going to be with Chris Collinsworth exactly? You know, I'm not sure. Is he still going to be with NBC? You know, he's supposed to be with Mike Tirico. But is that going to be long term? And Tony Romo is, you know, fairly new. He's had, what, about three years in or so. He's been with uh, Jim Nance, you know, at CBS. And Tony Romo was the guy who was that kind of instant sensation in the beginning. And now he's kind of leveled off. We've kind of become used to them. He's, he was like the Otani of broadcasters. He came up with tremendous buzz. But who knows where Otani as a player is going to be in two years he might just be a very good player. Uh, they're all very good. They all have strengths, weaknesses. I, I, if I'm going to rate them in order, Mac, I've got to give it a little more thought. I've enjoyed listening to all of them. Some Sometimes Tony Romo gets a little too over-enthusiastic. He's like a big kid. And even though that's endearing, as an adult, I sometimes wish he would calm down a little bit, even though I enjoy him a lot. Chris Collinsworth is good. He's, he's taken a lot, a certain amount of criticism, but like a, a long time TV show, sometimes you get so used to having a guy on there, you wonder whether change would be better, whether someone else would be better. But Chris Collinsworth is very good. And his son is actually a broadcaster, not an analyst, like kind of like a reporter before the game. He, he, he resembles his dad so much. Yeah, And Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, I mean, their stability. What's this, Mac, about Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks? Don Meredith, Troy Aikman, Tony Romo, they all get these major gigs, Cowboy quarterbacks. I, You know, I don't know, but I'm going to give you my three. It's going to be Tony Romo. He's more enjoyable, more fun than, than all three of them. Collinsworth, to me, is a better analyst and more easy to listen to. Troy Aikman's good. The only problem I got with Troy is Troy does not break down the game and have fun with it like the other ones do. He's more staunch. 
He'll call people out more. And I, I just, I, I, I'm not saying he's bad. I think he's good. But I don't think there's an enjoyment when I listen to Tony Romo like I do uh, with Rome. I mean, with Troy Aikman as I do with Tony Romo or Chris Collinsworth. So, you know, to, to me, it's like I, I can't remember Pat Summerall's uh, first co-host. He was very good. He played, I think it was with the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, before he got oh, John. Tom Brookshire. Thank you. Tom was very good. He was a good, he was a good analyst. But John Madden was just someone that was just, just fun and could and could tell you what the game's going on. And I'm not saying Tony Tony Romo is any John Madden, because John Madden it, to me is is probably the greatest analyst of all time. But Tony Romo is more similar to a John Madden than either one of them are. And that's why I enjoy him. And you're right, sometimes he gets a little, little nutty. Well, but you I, had a really great point, Mac. When you mentioned Madden and Romo, they're the type of personalities that if you were a fan, you would want them sit, you'd want to sit next to them during the game because they're talking to you like they're fans, like they're with you watching the game, getting excited. Even though Madden was a coach and obviously he was an expert on the X's and O's, he talked about it like he was a fan watching the game. Tony Romo gets excited like a fan, overly excited, enthusiastic. He's the type of guy, if we had to watch a game and sit next to Tony Romo, I think we would enjoy it maybe a little more than Chris Collinsworth, who's very even keel and very good. He does a good job, Collinsworth, and Aikman does a good, a very good job as well. But Tony, Troy Aikman would be a little more serious about the intimate parts of the game. And you get the feeling that Romo's not as intense as far as the inside factors go. He just talks about the game from the surface. And as fans, we can maybe appreciate that at times a little yeah. more. Yeah. Like I said, none of them are bad. Or I no, would... they're all very good. They're really? all very good. Just I have totally different personalities. And, you know, I, I, Troy Aikman seems like he has a problem smiling sometimes. Well, part of it, too. Part of it, too is who they're working with, who the lead announcer is, and the chemistry has got to be there. For example, Tony Romo has Jim Nance. <clears throat> Tony Romo's allowed the kind of times be fun kid in class. Isn't, 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 isn't Troy Aikman with Joe Buck? With Joe Buck. Joe Buck Not Jim is, Nance. They've got, they've got excellent chemistry. Now, Chris Collingsworth and Al Michaels had they had excellent chemistry yeah. as well. Don't get me wrong, but it's like Al Michaels had to be the dominant guy there. That's just the way it was, personality-wise. And Collinsworth was a you know he couldn't his personality couldn't shine through as being the number one guy. Listen. The Nance-Romo combination, who's considered the dominant guy there? Romo's considered the dominant guy, okay? Romo with Al Michaels couldn't be the dominant guy, just couldn't be it because Al Michaels had to be the dominant guy. Not because Al Michaels is selfish. He's not that at all. He's not an I guy. I don't mean it that way in the slightest. But Al Michaels is the superstar broadcaster there. He's the... You know, you look at him, he's the more impactful guy, no matter who would be with him, okay? 
and it's not it's a it's not an easy fit you come in as an analyst to work with al michaels because you know you always have to be that one step behind him now who are they going to match tom brady with that's going to be a very interesting you know scenario and like I think you maybe mentioned before in the past, Brady's going to have to be able to criticize people. You can't be nice. That's one of the reasons Peyton Manning didn't take the analyst job. They wanted him in the worst way. For one, Peyton Manning didn't want to bump Chris Collinsworth and go, and go with Al Michaels. He didn't feel comfortable with that. Also, Peyton Manning played in the league all those years. You're going to have to criticize other players you played with or against. And he wasn't ready to do that because that makes you unpopular. Look at everything Charles Barkley goes through at TNT. Players in the league, some of them despise him because it's his job to be critical of them. His membership with, uh, I mean, his friendship Charles Barkley's with Michael Jordan fizzled out because he criticized the job Jordan did as an owner at Charlotte at one point. So will Brady be willing to criticize? Would he be willing to go that route? Peyton Manning. He's got to have have the same personality to me if he's going to be really good that he has on the field. I mean, he's got to be that guy that's going to, you know, get pumped up and 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 get excited uh because if he doesn't what's the difference between him and, and tony romo right i mean and also let me ask you this mac 10-year contract if in this rookie year brady is just so so uh-huh. is anyone going to care by year two that tom brady's the analyst you just want to watch the games you just want a good analyst it could be anyone it could be jamie pax even if he's doing the job they just want to hear someone Who's good at that point? In the beginning, it's a major novelty. Brady's going to be the attraction. People are going to want to tune in. Oh, I want to hear Tom Brady. Everyone's going to be hanging on every word. But the novelty wears off after a while. I mean, it's like you're making a big free agent signing. It's a big splash. But then if the guy doesn't perform in year one, the novelty wears off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what he does. Folks, we only got 10 minutes left. I'm going to go through the standings real quick. The East and New York Yankees are 22 and 8. The Rays at 19 13. The Blue Jacks at 17 and 15. And believe it or not, Boston is, is in last. The Twins are 18 and 12. The White Sox and Cleveland are at 500. And in the West, the Angels and Astros are above 500. Of course, the rest are below 500. And the NL East, only team over 500 is the Mets at 21-11. Milwaukee, 20-12. The Cardinals at 17-13. and 13. Again, the rest of the teams are below 500. Maybe the biggest surprise to me, Jack, this year is the West. And not the Dodgers or the uh, Padres or the Giants. It's Arizona and Colorado. All over 500. The whole division is the whole division. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the AL East, where Boston's actually behind Baltimore. Yeah, it's Baltimore was considered a doormat team, but actually, Baltimore has some good guys coming up from the minor league system. But the idea that they're just ahead of the Red Sox. Now you know who's been really bad this year, and I thought would be better. I'm not giving up on them yet. The Detroit Tigers. They've played really. 
poorly under A.J. Hinch this season, and they've made off, you know, off-season acquisitions like getting Javier Baez as a free agent. Yeah. I think they'll improve as they go along. I, but it's a surprise they've been that bad. Listen, the Yankees have been a major surprise to me. I, I couldn't envision them being this good. But listen, Yankees are going to hit a rough, a rough spell. Okay, yeah. so right now you're never as good as when you're at your best, and you're never as bad as when you're at your worst. That's a well, saying, and I think that's playing out with the Yankees right now. Well, the 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 thing about the Yankees is how bad a spell it will be, right? A good team, every good team, uh, goes through something, but the real good teams, their their spells are very short, and maybe it's 500 or just below 500, and mm -hmm. they bounce back. That's the Dodgers. That's the Giants. That's maybe the Padres. That's maybe the Blue Jays. I don't know yet. Um, that's Blue might be Jays have been so-so. They really yes. have been yes, disappointed early. right now. It's yeah. still early, right? It's still They're early. They're within range to get, yes. you know, get it yes. all together. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we still got a long way to go. Uh, but as I predicted earlier, and I'm still going to stay with my prediction, of course, because they're winning, is the Yankees will win that division just by getting better defensively and having a bench this year. And that's something they didn't have last year. And if everything works out, if Boone is a good manager, we're going to find out this year, Jack. Well, I, I see, I still see the holes, Mac. I know that the Yankees have been fantastic this year. They have no hitting from the catcher's position. Aaron Hicks is starting to level out. Joey Gallo, do you really expect him to pick it up and be any better? Anthony Rizzo got off to a pretty good start, a lot of big hits, and I'm not talking about his batting average. Is Rizzo going to pick it up a level of really yeah, – I don't know. Donaldson, I'm kind of little iffy. Falafel at shortstop, I I'm, I just don't know. Well, I mean, they're better. Penn they're is better. really – they're better than they were last year at those positions, Jack. I mean, Rizzo staying on was a great move. Donaldson, Falefa, Falefa and the catcher yeah. team is better defensively. And that that wins some of the games. Torres is going to have a big year. I said that from all along. It was a great point, Jack, you made with him because I was ready to give up on the kid. No, no, no. He's going to, yeah. But I Not think five runs I think Torres. I think Torres is in a great position right now, right? You're not forced to play in a position you're not sure of. The pressure is off. You've got a bench behind you. If you cool down, we sit you for a little while. There's no pressure on him, and that's something a young kid uh, needs. So I, I agree with you. Now I was ready to say get rid of him, but you 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 brought up a great point, and it's it's starting to come true. So we'll see how that works out at the end of the year. Um, but very interesting to me um, how the teams are doing. We knew the Dodgers were going to be good. Yeah. I had a feeling the Padres and Giants were going to be good. Milwaukee I had a feeling about. Um, and the Yankees I had a feeling about. The rest, the Astros will be there. Um, the Cardinals kind of surprising to me a little bit. Um, the Angels. Uh, Angels, Trout. finally, every year I think they're going to yeah. be better than they do. I think yeah. they're every year I think they're a playoff caliber team, a team that can yeah. make the playoffs, and they always fizzle out. I mean, I yeah. think this year maybe they finally fulfill their potential. Yeah, at least get in the playoffs, for God's sakes. Please. And Mike Trout, I mean, I said the other day, 
And I was just saying it for the point of discussion, saying arguably Juan Soto of the Nationals is the best player in Major League Baseball. I wasn't saying I thought that. I was just saying arguably. It's not arguable. Mike Trout is still the guy, unless you're counting a two-way player in Otani because he plays the field and pitches. Mike Trout's the best player. It's still the best player in baseball. Trout's a a once-in-a-generation. They use that all the time. A once-in-a-generation player. Well, yeah, he was out injured last year. It's like Roy Jones said in his video in the past, ah, you must have forgot. So I right. must have forgot, you know, how great Mike Trout was. And he's pick, picking up from where he left off this year. Quick boxing question for you. Charlo, Castano, draw last time. Charlo has a lot to, to, to prove. Castano's a good fighter, Jack. What do you think? Yeah, uh, you know, I thought Castano won last time. He edged it out. The draw wasn't unreasonable. They fight uh, tomorrow. Oh, they fight Saturday night. Right. Yeah, two nights. And uh, I like Castano this time to get the decision. I think the fight will go the same way the first one did. But I think Castano will get the decision. I don't think there'll be any bias there. And it'll, it'll be a big win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that taking on the one for Charlo. Charlo could beat him. There's no doubt. Yeah, you know, with the Charlo's the problem, Jamal and Jamel, I mean, one's a junior middleweight, the other's a middleweight. The names are the same, twins. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell them apart. Right. I wish they'd get their own identity for, as far as the public goes, so the public could tell them apart a little bit. It's always hard with twins, but they deserve their own identities, you know, because they're terrific fighters, the Charlo's. But I think Jamel... Charlo gets upset Saturday night. I do too. Uh, I do too. And I do you think they're ever tempted to switch off this fight for the other guy? Uh well, I hear the Charlos is a little bit of a rivalry with the two yeah. of them. I mean, no one's talked about them fighting one another, but there's a little tension there to reporting. I mean, they're close, don't get me wrong. But I think there's maybe it's just a competitive thing. I'm better than you, you or so on. And, uh, that's brothers. That's brothers, Jack. Folks, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks, thanks for joining us. Let's go never would have fought one another. Vladimir and Vitaly, they ruled that out completely. Ah, I got to get in there once in a while, mate. Mix it up. Folks, thanks for joining us. Had a great time today having Lance Meadow. Uh, Carter B in. A lot of great information. A lot of great coverage. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. On the Friday show, where we'll have our NFL analyst, Byron Williams. We'll have Keith Angle in. Uh, and we'll have Pags in, the Philly sports guy. And my favorite, I always say everybody's my favorite. But we haven't heard from him in a little while. we got to talk to the Jet Man. He'll be in at 930, folks. So we'll see you tomorrow on the Mac and Jack Sports Show. Have a great Thursday, folks.